0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Pro Tour Talk with Steve Dodge. I'm Steve Dodge. Today is uh, today is March 28, 2018. And uh, today we are going to be joined by Dave Feldberg later in the show. Uh, we're going to talk uh, a little bit about who Dave is as a person, why he is who he is, and uh, we'll talk about the Pro Masters division and uh, what what we should do with it going forward. But before we get there, um just wanted to let you know uh what we did at the the last show worked really well where after the show like after we hit stop broadcast we uh i will go through all the comments i'll filter out all of the uh all of the good questions and then i'll answer those in a separate segment and we'll tack that on to the end of the podcast so for those of you who listen to the podcast as opposed to the youtube version you get the bonus questions at the end of the show we're on i guess any anywhere you go to get podcasts stitcher itunes maybe snapchat i don't know where podcasts live anyway spotify are we on spotify i think we are so go there and then you'll be able to listen to the questions the answers to the questions that can pop up during the show it was a pretty easy way to do it last week and uh, i'm just going to keep that format so also If during this show, so sometime in the next forty-five minutes, if you purchase a compact Zuka cart, these things are starting to sell well. Uh, We're getting very close to the release date, which is uh, early May. Um, If you purchase a compact Zuka cart, we will send you one of our new soft DGPT tees, one of our new Pro Tour T-shirts. We got a new design. We got new colors. And you will get one and you won't have it. And you just tell us what size you are uh, when you place your compact Zuka order and you won't have any idea what kind of shirt you're going to get, but you're going to get one. We will pick the design. We will pick the color and you will wear it with pride and honor and glory, just like Braveheart or Rob Roy, which was not nearly as good anyway. uh, So this week in Pro Tour news. the big thing was the, uh, fantasy wrap up from the Waco. And, uh, if you would like an opportunity to win any of these big prizes, you should join, uh, you should support us via Patreon. Uh, we thank our Patreons all the time and they support us and help this thing go. We, I think the term is symbiotic. It might just be called bionic, but I think it's symbiotic. So anyway, uh, Jeff Carson won our Patreon league. Uh, he picked uh, James Conrad, Nate Sexton, Drew Gibson, and Garrett Gurthy. Good pickup with Garrett there. Uh, on the men's side and on the women's side, he picked Paige Pearson, Lisa Fakas. Total of 1,207 points, and he walks away with a DGA mock shift. Well done, Jeff Carson. Uh, Steven Rashawn, Chris Hayworth, Joseph Douglas, and Kevin Smed round out the top five on the Patreon side. Interestingly enough, um, Kevin Smed got uh, 1,068 1, points. It might be Smed's. might be It might be a typo. Uh, he got 1,068 points. Jeff Carson got 1,207 points. So if you think you can beat 1,068, you have an opportunity to, to do well in Pro Tour Patreon Fantasy League. So you got to sign up for $5 a month and then you get into every tournament. And uh, as soon as you do $5 a month on Patreon, a special post shows up where that gives you the code on SkipAce. On the uh, on the Open League side, David Moore scored 1222 points. He's, he chose Conrad, Coling, Sexton, and Drew Gibson, and then Paige Pearson, Rebecca Cox on the women's side. He scored 1222. Interestingly though, he uh, he actually beat Jeff Carson, who got 1207. He could have won a mock shift. Instead, he's going away with an upper park drawstring bag pro tour drawstring bag. I'm not going to answer that right now. Uh, he goes away with a uh, upper park drawstring bag, a very nice bag. But uh, frankly, I'd rather have a mock shift. So David, next time, put five bucks in and you just might walk away a big winner. Um, Chris Morrissey, Travis Lambert, Travis Lamberton, Michael Keifling and a tie for fifth. Christy. Christy M. And who's the other person? I only see one name there. <laughs> that's really interesting. It says there was a tie. Oh, broken on overall points. Oh, that's interesting. So Christy M. Congratulations. So there you have it. Uh, links to the Zuka cards. If you want to buy one during the show and get yourself a free t-shirt and links to the Patreon league and the fantasy news page that I just read are all in the YouTube description. So feel free to go there and follow those links. If you're listening in your car to the podcast, I'm sorry it is too late. You do not get to get a free T-shirt for buying a Zuka, a compact Zuka, but you should still go buy a compact Zuka. Support the tour, roll in style. So, moving on, we have uh, oh U disk stat of the week. This is something we're going to bring back next from last year, and uh, I did some some quick research into the stat of the week. So the stat of the week is OB. Jeremy Colling tied Nate Perkins for the lead. Paul McBeth carded third. Paul McBeth was three strokes out, and he got himself four OB strokes over the course of the entire tournament. 54 holes, four OB strokes. Not too bad. For me, that would be fantastic. Jeremy Colling, he carded five OB strokes. He recovered very well. He, he played out of his mind, I guess, on the rest of the holes. The interesting thing is Nate Perkins. Through all 54 regulation holes, there are only five players, five total out of the hundred plus players at, at Waco on the men's side who got uh, zero OBs. Those guys are Jeff Renard, Landon Knight, Mike Conley, Patrick Brown, and Nate Perkins. Nate Perkins went zero OB strokes throughout 54 holes. And then in one sudden death hole, he swings it out wide, hits a spectator who is okay, and goes OB. A very interesting turn of events when you look at statistics. Uh, you would have bet there's no chance he's going OB on that shot. Uh, if you had known the statistics, actually, no, that's not true. Because when when push comes to shove, you know that guy who's never missed the, an extra point throughout the entire season, when the playoffs are on the line, obviously he's going to miss. But especially after uh, Troy Troy Buck, Jim Buck, Jim Buck, Troy Aikman, especially after one of those guys points out that stat, then it gets even worse. So anyway, that was a really interesting stat. No ob strokes for Nate Perkins through fifty four holes. then one ob stroke through one sudden death hole so another adjustment we're making to the uh ever evolving super chat trivia and if we keep doing this throughout the season this will be a very funny running joke however uh the keen super chat trivia we're modifying it again and it's we're gonna have the trivia question but it'll just be for fun now and what we're doing is every time you super chat. Each dollar you super chat is one entry into our super chat trivia raffle. And uh, if we get $75, we're going to raffle off a pair of Keens if there's just one super chat. Uh, If we get over $75 in super chats, we'll raffle off a second pair. And if we get over $150, we'll raffle off a third pair. So super chat, increase your odds of winning the Keen super chat raffle. And feel fi- Feel free to have some fun answering the trivia question, which will still be at hole twelve. Um, and we'll oh, and and then we will draw and announce the raffle winners the following Wednesday on this very show. So, obviously, next week is next week, not this weekend, but the weekend after is Jonesboro Open. So, in two shows, we will have our first drawing for our Keen Super Chat Trivia Raffle. Speaking of the Jonesboro Open. Uh, let's move on to the feature cards. Um, we obviously do our fan votes the Monday, like 10 days before the event, and then we announce the feature cards the Wednesday, two days after the fan vote starts, which is today. So the winners of the fan vote on the men's side, uh, Seppo Payu uh, with a well, – actually, it wasn't it – wasn't, he didn't win by a ton – But Seppo Paio with a total of 2,400 points, A.J. Risley with 1,980 points, and Zach Melton with 1,790 points just squeaks out Garrett Gerthy. So the three MPO players that will be on feature cards uh, are Seppo, A.J., and Zach. And actually, A.J. Risley, I just saw on Facebook, actually he has his own fan page on Facebook now. So if you like A.J. Risley, uh, look up Risley's Grizzlies. And join that fan va- fan page for AJ Risley. Let's uh, show him some love and keep rooting on for him to do great. Obviously, rooting for everybody to do great. But I thought it was pretty fun. I saw Risley's Grizzlies, which was mentioned a couple weeks ago, actually, on this podcast. And, and now that page exists. And on the women's side, um, this was a really exciting battle. Um, I, I think it might be our second women's fan boat. But I'm going to say, first of all, Kelly Tucker got fifth place out of five. And as far as I know, this is the first time she's ever been included in a fan vote. And there are now people that know Kelly Tucker's name. So this was a really good first step. I'm really happy to get Kelly Tucker's name known by even that many more people. Ellen Widboom is a name I suspect by the end of the season, many people will know. She got fourth in the fan voting. And uh, she will be at, as far as I know, all of the Pro Tour events, and I guarantee she will be on a feature card at some point throughout the season. We got some nice video of her from the Waco that uh, we might be posting later, but uh, fantastic that she, just like Kelly, are on these lists. I'm, I'm very excited to see the number of women playing on the pro side starting to grow. Hopefully we can get some traction and keep this, side, keep this momentum going. Uh, Third on the women's side, Pixie Cannon. Uh, I did like one of the comments that said, I don't know Pixie, but with a name like Pixie Cannon, I had to vote for her. So Pixie Cannon with 1,400 points got third. In second place, just behind our winner is Madison Walker. Uh, I, I imagine it was a very tough decision for a lot of people trying to choose which of these amazing women to see. And Madison, again, just like Pixie and Ellen and hopefully Kelly, will be on a feature card sometime throughout the season. But the winner this week is Kona Panis. Congratulations, Kona. You will be on the women's feature card. And, uh, that is going to let's go ahead and just wrap up who these feature card people, what the entire feature cards are. Uh, so the live card going off at, at, uh, I think it's three o'clock Eastern, uh, is, uh, Ricky Waisaki, Kevin Jones, Simon Lazat, and Seppo Payu. Uh, The noon feature card, uh, which I believe will be, I believe it'll be Jomez, but uh, if he wants to do the 10 o'clock card, I will let him. Uh, Austin Hannum, Jeremy Colling, Kellen McCann, uh, McCann, AJ Risley, and then the 10 o'clock feature card, uh, Kai Visa, Danny Lindahl, Paul Macbeth, and Zach Melton. So those are our three men's feature cards. And the women's feature card uh, that will be filmed by the disc golf guy, Terry Miller, Jennifer Allen, Jessica Weiss, Sarah Hokum, and Kona Panis. It'll be really exciting to see how that shapes up. Uh, so, with that, going forward, we are going to be talking about um, in in future future episodes of Pro Tour Talk. We'll be talking about the playoffs in the in specifically in Pro Tour events, but basically in Premier events what's the best way to handle playoffs uh we'll be talking about weather uh is weather a concern is the pdj uh, weather policy uh the right solution for premier events what's the best solution and is are there any tweaks that we should make to the weather policy we'll have an open discussion about that as well um i'd love to have a conversation about what par is what par should be all the different ways that we can calculate par is it okay for us to to be 15 down and around, or do we want to be two down and around? What's the goal of PAR? And a lot of people say it doesn't matter. I'm going to disagree with that. If it didn't matter, it wouldn't be such a hot topic. So it it matters. And it's just a question of what are our goals with PAR and what's the best way to implement those goals? And uh, those are topics we'll discuss in upcoming shows. If there's a topic that you want to see and a guest that you want to see, um, let me know in the comments. Shoot me an email, steven at dgpt.com. Uh, we'll do our best to address those questions and bring on those guests and, and learn more about the sport as we grow. So tonight, after the break, we will be talking uh, about Pro Masters and Pro Masters Division with Dave Feldberg. And uh, And with that, I am happy to welcome in Dave Feldberg to the show. Dave, it's nice to see you. How you doing, Steve? Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, perfect timing, as always.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was tricky that uh,
0: trying to get into Google Hangouts, but I figured it out. You, you you figured it out just in time, and I'm glad that you did. Um, so, Dave, before we get into the uh, Pro Masters conversation, I'd love to chat with you real quick and learn a little bit about who Dave Feldberg is. Um, I know a couple years ago you were the man with the beard. Tonight, you are not the man with the beard uh i want to know who dave feldner was before the beard even started to grow um i grew grew up up in a small town town. and And on a lake lake. and
1: uh went to you know just played sports like everybody else and you know went to school and then went to college after that and that's where i kind of found disc golf i was born in washington dc we moved to michigan when i was 10.
0: Uh, okay, born in Washington, D.C., moved to Michigan, We were under 10. Uh, you, you said at the beginning you were from, and then it cut out. Where Are you from Michigan?
1: Yeah, it, uh, after 10, we moved to Michigan. It was near Kalamazoo on, by Gull Lake, Delton area, and uh, grew up on a lake. And after that, so I went from being like a city boy who was in the city all the time to a country boy with a town of 500 people. All the, all the locals called us the city-fine folk.
0: so i was about to say moving from a city to a lake i suspect if you're anything like me you had some significant adventures on and around that lake yeah that was uh kind of saved the
1: childhood you know my parents moved there because times were getting tough in maryland and uh you know also trying to raise kids through all those drug times and gang times and all that killings and stuff that was going on in the 80s and 90s there so they tried to move us to a small town and uh you know made friends there and you know changed my whole life really
0: that's uh that's pretty interesting uh are you how old are you about 43 41. 41. not 41 until april sixth. okay well I'll, I'll be 50 april 29th so we're uh we're april boys but it's interesting because i was going to college about the time that you were leaving the area and uh, i went to college in fredericksburg and down in richmond at the time was the murder capital of the world and dc was a close second so that was a bad corridor at that time. You're 100% right. Yeah, my parents feared. They couldn't imagine what the next 10 years was going to bring. So. Well, it turns out it brought a lot better. It, they, they turned things around. But uh, I, yeah, anyway, I, I'm glad that they did. Um, I know Richmond has actually turned into a, a beautiful city at this point, And uh, they, they're doing a great job. in D.C. is D.C. Yeah. Uh, so, Dave, can you tell me one entertaining story that you had uh, growing up or even after you grew up? like give me give us something funny tell us something about who dave feldberg is in a in an entertaining little story um let's see who
1: i am in an entertaining story you know looking back um i don't know i think a kind of entertaining story maybe it's not exciting is that my parents were always so busy and you know going on they owned a bar and they owned beauty shops and they were you know always going 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 that there'd be times where they would leave me behind <laughs> You mean literally? Literally, like, um, for example, I was at a, we were at a Shell station once in town, and uh, I went in, and I was, when I came back out, my parents were gone. They had pumped the gas and left. They forgot me. Or, you know, my, my dad would drop me off at school when there was no school that day, but he dropped me off so early, it'd be like 7 in the morning. I was the first kid anyway, so I didn't know, and I'd be sitting there and not realize it until 9 a.m. <laughs> so <laughs> – so, you know, those kind of things happen that, you know, and they didn't mean it. Like I remember from the shell station, the lady knew my home phone number. I was only like 11 and she called and she said, I think you left him here, you know, and they came here, again.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, I mean, that's the kind of things. It was kind of a interesting, interesting childhood.
0: So I don't, I don't know how deep we, I don't know how deep we want to go. Um, my mom was relatively forgetful at times. And I remember getting dropped off at Boy Scouts, and Boy Scouts didn't happen that night. And uh that that was an entertaining experience. Um, but it didn't happen that often. Uh was did and I, I apologize, I have to ask this question. While you were growing up, was there a part of you that wondered what's wrong with my parents?
1: <laughs> yeah, I just thought that. They were just always so uh, obscure, you know, busy with their own thoughts that they just would forget. You know, you'd be you have someone around all the time. It's like you take things for granted. You just think I'm going to be in the back seat, but I haven't gotten the back seat yet. <laughs> <laughs> it,
0: um, it, and the funny thing is if it happens nowadays, that is the worst parent in the world. Oh, yeah, they go to jail, right? It's Life is different. Um, you're not allowed to be forgetful anymore. So, uh, but... You you came through that, uh, and do you, uh, do you laugh about it now with your parents? Well, you know my my parents. My dad
1: was kind of went missing about ten years ago when my mom was in a coma, and uh, my my mom is in a home right now. She came out of the coma. She was in it for ten and a half months. She's been out for a few years now, and she has to have a you know a nurse twenty four seven in right. a place. So. My mom, actually, when we went to see her, we went out to dinner and she brought it up. She thinks it's one of the funniest stories, the one at the Shell station. She, she oh. always remembers that. Of all the stories she can remember, that's one of the stories that sticks in her head, too, is how she left me at a gas station. <laughs> mm-hmm. So did you go swimming in the lake? Yes. That's, you know, me and Cynthia now live on a lake here in Georgia. That's one of the reasons we moved to the lake is, you know, it's been 20 years since I got to live on a lake. And I always thought about it. And Cynthia said, where do you want to live? I said, somewhere with water
0: yeah so,
1: you know i it's a dream come true we're on the lake right now um we don't have a dock or a boat yet but we're working that way we just cut ourselves our first view of the lake because it's oh, all woods. nice how, how far away from the lake are you we're probably 300 200 feet from the lake but we have uh 500 feet of waterfront oh but wow it's, but it's all woods so yeah we had we literally had to cut out get a chainsaw her dad gave me a chainsaw for christmas and went out there and we we made ourselves a view
0: you cut yourself a fairway. Yes, one fairway to the water. Yes. Um, so as a kid, I, I presume you went swimming, you went fishing. You- yeah, Swimming, fishing, tubing, Cops water skiing.
1: Yeah, if anything, I pick, collected rocks. I mean, another story you're saying is my parents, you know, we didn't have very much. So one way that they would take us on trips or, you know, go to SeaWorld or Cedar Point once a summer was that we would pick up rocks off the beach Or we would pick out seaweed and the neighbors would pay us like a penny a rock or a dollar a bag of seaweed. And basically we would spend all day, me and my cousins, trying to collect up as much as we could. And, you know, by the end we'd have $62 to go to SeaWorld with
0: each. Wow. Uh, I assume your neighbors were just being polite. No, well, it helped their beach. Because think about it, now they had a smooth beach. Oh, they were clearing the beach. Yeah,
1: we would swim under the water and pull all the rocks and
0: all the seaweed all the way out to past their docks absolutely and seaweed is a you know it, you don't like to walk in seaweed so no. absolutely have your neighbors kids clear it
1: yep so we would clear it and so that you know that was the kind of things we would do you know um my family was big on going to like amusement parks once a year we get to go to like cedar basically cedar point
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I was from pittsburgh and we went to cedar point i think every other year yep. so a little farther away oh um, but yeah cedar point the roller coaster capital of the world everybody loves cedar point
1: yeah, you know, Cynthia and I really got into riding roller coasters and stuff, but now after the next surgery, I'm nervous to get on one. I'm not sure if I can ride. Uh,
0: I, I, it's, I'll go ahead and say my roller coaster story, which I told two weeks ago, I think. Uh, I was riding on a roller coaster doing a corkscrew. It might have been at Cedar Point uh, with my dad, and as we're going through the corkscrew, my glasses fell off, and my dad reached out and caught my glasses in the corkscrew. Wow. It was it was ridiculous like there's there's no reason that i had glasses at the end of the trip. you mean the actual blue corkscrew uh, it, cedar point. it might have been yeah I, there it was a corkscrew and it, i believe it was, it was at cedar point
1: yeah that was really good i took cynthia on that ride a year or two ago and it doesn't have the same feel as a kid after riding all the new ones they have right but i remember the first time i did the demon drop and put the quarter on my knee the whole nine years that was. That was enlightening at 10 years old.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I sing the Demon Drop song every once in a while, and Jenny looks at me like I'm ridiculous. Demon Drop, Demon Drop, Demon Drop, <laughs> <laughs> Demon Drop. That's a great ride.
1: Yeah.
0: Anyway, okay. So uh, I think that's goofy enough to, uh, to last as one show. Um, but thank you very much for sharing that. And I hope your mom is, uh, is happy with the way that your career has progressed and is proud of you as a son.
1: Yep, she just knows, she gets happy and she says disc golf and she, we give her discs and she always points to them on
0: the wall and she's happy about it. So, so um, Dave, you and I have had some, actually probably more than just this one, but we've had quite a few uh, conversations about, uh, I'll just say in this, in this specific case, in regard to the master's division. And what should happen with the Masters division um, in an ideal world, and then in the world that we're in? I guess those are the those are the two situations that we need to uh, look at. Um, as the sport continues to grow, I think this question will resolve itself because there will be enough money, so it won't matter as much. Right now, there's not that much money, and it's and it's it's divvied up between Masters and the Open division, and. At many, many tournaments, you can you could win masters with a certain score and actually earn more money than if you played open and got seventh or eighth or ninth and with the same exact score. So uh, my solution would be to simply pay the masters less so that never, ever happens. And then they all come over to open division naturally. What do you think of that idea?
1: Well, I mean, the reason that's not going to work, you know, Steve, is because most of the promoters and the organizers are guys that are master's age. And, and when you get to be your age, most people really have a respect for the older gentleman or older lady and their abilities. So I think that that's what you'll see a lot of the tournaments, you know, their buddy or their co-owner or their husband is playing in the masters. <laughs> and so telling him that, you know, you worked all year for this tournament and to raise money, but we're not going to give anything to my, you know, your personal group usually doesn't fly. So I think that's kind of what's been keeping it from being spread over. And then there's also a lot of the master's guys who get there a lot of active master's guys who are out there t- making sure the TDs are trying to spread it fairly and lobbying for certain amounts in our division. And, you know, they've been, they've been working hard for years, like Jim Oates, for example.
0: Absolutely. And, and Jim is one of the guys that I talked to at the Memorial. So, uh, and, and along with you and let's, let's go ahead and, and, Put forward two two scenarios just to start with the where we are part of this conversation the first scenario is a let's say a, a regional b tier um right. and the the master's division and the people who are running the event are in, indeed thankful to uh the master's age players they're probably the guys some of them are probably the guys that come out and work on the course they're guys that help spot when when big tournaments come around they're guys that help run the club uh, they give they give back significantly to the local club and, and that course and probably that tournament. And uh, I can understand that, your you're point 100% on an event like that. Um, and I presume you can too. Yeah. Okay. They, and most, then, of those, most of those are being spread equally. <laughs> uh, yeah, they'd be like the payout would be spread proportionally based on how many people were in each division. Yes,
1: yeah, so they're not saying the Open or the Masters has a, a reference or preference. It's just divide by the amount of players
0: yeah exactly um and then you get to where i am and uh and granted i'm one of those people who is older uh but i still don't give myself any reverence um but uh, i'm definitely older and i still i still think the the pro masters players i i want to play with the open guys that's that's just how i roll um i'm i've always wanted to to compete against the very very best. And if I can beat them, then I can walk home happy. And if I can't beat them, then that, that's okay. I'm, I'm not just, as good as they are, just, I suppose.
1: I but, guess, though, Steve, it's tough to take, though. I mean, if you look at the Memorial, you know, I had the highest finish of anybody over 40. And I didn't have a great one round, so I finished 20th place. It was very close to top 10, just a couple shots. But, you know, in the Masters division, he paid him $1,800 for first. That was better than
0: third. And how much did you get for 20th? 580. And how much would you have gotten in two strokes better? Uh, 800. Oh, that's, so not a significant jump.
1: No, it, because it was tight. It was uh, two strokes would have put me in like 12th. There was a big tie. It wasn't until about eighth when you got a thousand.
0: Okay. So when we're talking about a pro tour event uh, and on at a pro tour event, the MPO division it's mandated that they have to add $10,500 to that, to the MPO and FPO division. Right. And we, we divvy up that added cash proportionally. Um, but for the Pro Masters division, it's not mandated that you add anything at all. That's a, it would just be a PDGA A tier mandate, I suppose. Yeah, I think they have to meet the PDGA minimums. Yeah, exactly. 1500 maybe. Mm-hmm. I genuinely don't know. It's uh, we we eclipse it by so much. I don't even worry about it. Okay. Um, but whatever whatever it is, I'm sure they do that. And and it sounds like at first got eighteen hundred, they do even more than that. Yes,
1: a lot right. of your te- a lot of your TDs that have this established pro tour events, not the ones you kind of brought up from a, a Jonesboro style event. Right. I consider that the style, but more like the Memorial style events. They have a history and they're maintaining it and still meeting your minimum. They want to meet your minimum of 10, 5, but still maintain their history of all the other divisions and people that come to play their tournaments.
0: So in, in your opinion, uh, and I'll go ahead and just put my opinion out there and then you can you can give it the old kibosh. Um, in my opinion, in an, in an ideal world. So I think we know where we are with a regional and I think we kind of agree with that uh, on a regional level. At the pro, current Pro Tour level, we're kind of in this mixed state of, of flux and we don't know quite which way to head. But in an ideal world, the, the place that I think that we should go, and I'm going to go ahead and say in, in 10 to 15 years, we'll be at this place. And that's where payouts are well over $100,000 per event. Um, and it will be worthwhile for someone who has been a touring pro their whole lives. Um, talking about uh, even, even Paul Macbeth, Paul Macbeth, uh, Simon Lazad, Eagle McMahon, um sepo payu all of these guys who are uh, on the younger side in in 20 years they're going to be in their 40s and uh and start thinking about huh it's hard to keep up with these young guns um that those guys need to be taken care of in my opinion and stay in the open division because they have a fan base Phil, phil mickelson actually surprisingly he's still doing great But Phil Mickelson could easily be tapering off at this point. And even if he was, he would still have tons of people that love rooting for him. And so it's important that in my opinion, it's important that he stays in the open division. And, uh, and I think the same is going to happen in disc golf. So long-term it's important to me that these guys all stay in the open division. So that's where I want to head. Do you, do you agree with the goal of where I want to head?
1: Yes, I agree with that goal. And I think that part of your goal should also be to, you know, promote the PDJ or whoever the you know the powers to be in 20 years, that once they get to 50 plus, then there is something, you know, maybe some kind of division for them, maybe not at the pro tour events, but that there is like, some other small tour for seniors, because once you get over that level, that it, you know, expecting them to compete with yeah. 19 year olds, that's a little too much.
0: Uh, I, I'll agree. I'm I'm uh, I'm 49 right now. I'll be 50 in a month, and I expect in about a month I'm going to start yeah. being sore. Right now I'm apart. I'm limber and ready to go. Put me in, coach. But in about a month, it's <laughs> no. But you're you're 100 right. The wheels start to fall off. For for me, it was probably mid to late 40s where the wheels. I I realized, wow, I just don't have as much pop as I used to have. And yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and I'll agree. And I'll go ahead and say that in in 15, it'll probably take 15 to 20 years where we have a critical mass of people that want to be watched. Now there, we can obviously make a division for seniors, what I would call seniors 50 and up,
1: Yeah.
0: but I, I would like to make a seniors tour. But in order to do that, you need a critical mass. It's it's similar to the women's division right now. We, we are working on making a, a significant push for FPO, but we don't quite have a, a critical mass yet to make it go on its own. So, um, once we get that critical mass, I think the senior division for men would work out. And Plus, I think
1: by the time you have the Jim Oates and those, those guys, guys, they'll be 70 or 80, 80 by then, and, and they'll have no jobs, and they'll be putting a lot of that time and effort to writing things and making sure that there is that senior tour that they missed out on. Uh, it's
0: it's interesting, because I, I look at, I look at, I could look at myself. Um, we, I'll go ahead and include you in this, because disc golf, in 10 years, when your wheels are falling off, disc golf's gonna start to really take off. And you're gonna look back and go, huh? Well, that sucks for me. Um, and it and it's kind of the same for Jim Oates, and it's kind of the same for me. And and I kind of wondered, does Terry Bradshaw think that? Does he look back and go, what are these guys? Like, I'm better than all these guys, and, and they're getting bajillions. Um it's That's
1: it's okay. just announcing jobs, gets <laughs> them. Say that again? That's why they make them announcers. That's right. <laughs>
0: That's right. It makes it easier. Um, but Sonny Jurgensen didn't do a great job of announcing, and uh, I don't know what he's doing these days.
1: That was my favorite quarterback growing up, by
0: the way. A- absolutely. He was my least favorite. I was a Cowboys fan. I'm
1: a fan. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it, goes, it is what it is. Um, so setting up the stage in an ideal world, we'll get to a point where there's a critical mass of players above 50 – and they can have a seniors tour and if you're 45 and the wheels are starting to fall off you can still compete you can still make a living you still have fans that love you and uh and you're able to to make as good a living or better actually a better living than a master's age player right now that's that. i think that's also where we're headed the question is in this flux how do we go from where we are now to where I, and maybe we think we should be. You know, it's just
1: like Klamo always says. <laughs> I love quoting Clymer. He's He says, follow the yellow brick road. You know, don't reinvent the wheel, you know? And, and there's tons of sports, including our sport in Japan, where they figured out a way to allow those people to compete with the with the younger men and women and still have a chance to be respected for being an elder. And I think that, you know, I say Japan, I reference Japan, and I, I think that you know I'm going to reference to what they call, some people call it a double dip. But in most sports, what they do is once a player goes over the 35 or 40 age, depending on the sport, then they still compete with the youngsters, but there's a side pot or a side um, acclamation. Maybe it's just a trophy, but there's something that says, hey, you finished 11th in the open field, but you're also the best person over 40. So we're going to say, you know, here's a trophy and an extra check, and honor you at the ceremony for being the best player over 40, but you still also can collect your check for being 11th. And and I did the math a little bit on that. And if you check the memorial, I would have broke even. It would have been the exact same if we had the same amount of players and we did, say, $50 out of your entry fee, went to the side pot, and you you did that math, you paid the 40% down, I would have made the exact same amount as Rob Ryan did for winning
0: uh, that. Oh, wait, did, did you, Oh, you didn't win masters cause you didn't play masters. Right. Okay. You see what I'm saying? So that's what, and that's the most extreme masters
1: tournament we have for good payouts. So most tournaments, it would be much better for the masters, you know, with huh. seven, eight, to, nine, to merge everybody. Yeah. Yes. And so how- even at, at the upper level, masters would only break even. They wouldn't lose out. And at the regular tournaments, you know, regular that aren't the highest paying master tournaments in the world, which is like two or three, then they would start to a gain more money and they would gain the ability to feel good about themselves. I mean, I've only played masters for a year, Steve, and I can tell you the comments I hear from the, my competitors in the lead card is, man, there's nobody watching us. Oh, man, uh, who cares? Like, a guy wins, beats me, you know, and I'm shaking his hand. He's like, uh, nobody cares, right? There's not one person here to clap for me to win and I'm winning a national tour or, you know, a big tournament. And I think that it doesn't affect me because I had a whole career of that, but for a lot of these guys that they're missing that and they're missing that drive. And I think that you see a lot of uh, recycling through the master's division. I've only been around a year and I don't see the same guys at the tournaments over and over, you know, and I think that they get, there's just not any reward to be, you know, to think you've won something but not be noticed to win it. And so if you have the skills, you want to be able to show people. And I think that, you know Jim Oates coming out and taking 17th in the open you know I think he'd have a lot more fun than winning the grand masters and nobody really knowing about it unless they see it in the box court.
0: yeah if he if he gets if I you said grand master so I assume he's over 50 yeah. um if he gets 17th in the open division that's a story and we would put somebody on that card and take some pictures of him and say holy cow you are you're showing uh 85 or actually at the memorial showing 150 guys that are younger than you how to play the game and uh that's a key point that you say and steve there how to play the game is that the other part that the other sports
1: have is we had these older guys around so they can teach the younger guys how to be and act you know most most men that are 20 to 40 competing are going to be intense and they're not sometimes they're going to be sportsmanship but sometimes there's going to be moments where they aren't by the time they're over 40. They develop their life more. They're more comfortable in life. And they're probably going to be a lot more sportsman-like. And they're going to know more about the rules and how to handle life. And having the chance to rub elbows with the 19- and 20-year-old kid and teach him that is how you grow the sport overall. You know, And I don't think we've ever had that. As soon as guys became 35 when I was playing, they were gone. So the elder in my division was a 34-year-old man trying to make a living playing disc golf. He's probably not giving me the best example to be a sportsman. You know, you know what I'm saying?
0: That, that is a side of, that's an argument that, uh, that you and I have never made
1: head-to-head,
0: yeah. head, but it's a really good point. Um, learning from experience is one of the best ways to learn. Uh, making mistakes is the other great way, and uh, being, being 50 and doing things the way I do, I've, I've got a lot of both. Um, so what I think I'm, just to, to encapsulate all of this, uh are you proposing put and and it might not work at the memorial because that event the mpo sells out so and then the master's division is i I assume pretty big as well so that's a that's kind of a special bear but let's look at waco um waco the mpo i think they had 109 on the mpo side and they had probably a dozen to probably 15 to 20 on the masters side and I think what you're saying is put those together yeah put them together and what, what you, do you have it up what was the score do you have the
1: computer in front of you
0: i, I do have i have a computer in front of me um, the
1: waco- let's look at waco does he cash mm.
0: uh let's see if that works I, I didn't do much here uh there we go uh we want to see the winner let's- master score i guess i need to do 2018 huh yeah it was. it was just the other day <laughs> you know what i when i find when i'm i'm looking for events um on the pdga page i just search for the event and wait in google oh really yeah i don't i don't go to the pdga site i go to google and just type 2018 PDGA wait
1: i wish there was a way to sort their calendar by like state or something uh
0: there's yeah there's lots of things that that can be improved everywhere so let's look at the the number one guy in masters marcus roberts big call out to marcus roberts um he shot 15 down beat michael infante i don't know how to pronounce that uh my apologies uh by nine and vinnie miller by 14. okay uh oh wait that's the pro masters
1: yeah so what did he get oh
0: chris chris pepperling won uh one masters minus 19. he shot a 182. okay
1: What does that,
0: that it? would have gotten him 29th tying dutch napier Dutch made $386, and Chris Pepperling made $578. So,
1: You know that his $200 bonus would would have been a lot more because how many players was there? 19,
0: you said? There were 19 Pro Masters, yeah.
1: Right, so his bonus, if you do like a a $50 scale like I was talking about, his bonus is looking to be about $600. I mean, $600 plus $383 is $900, and he got to play with the open players.
0: Exactly, and he would have got his $383. And the guy who got second place, uh, Don Ellsworth, Finished fourteen down, got three fifty. Uh, he would have finished one shot out of the cash. But maybe he wouldn't have because he wouldn't have. You know, when you're playing second in Masters, oh, and you're, right. you're down by five. You're just kind of goofing around. Absolutely. So uh, if let's pretend we're doing this side bet. Uh, personally, I personally I personally like the idea of just trophy only for Pro Masters, but it but I I don't know how well that would fly. Um, but presuming we did a side bet, would we be looking at? You said fifty dollars, so it's let's pretend it's two hundred and twenty-five to get into an event. Are you saying one seventy-five goes to the open pot and fifty goes to the master spot?
1: Right, kind of like you know when you did with the amateurs or some of the other women's stuff you did. You let people in for kind of a less entry, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that adding one seventy-five to the pot will help them and it provides more players and and gets your headache of having all the best players in the same division.
0: It also gives us a couple more stories because you've got a 40-year-old winner and a 50-year-old winner. Exactly. And I think that if
1: you get somebody to match the $50 or above that, it's up to the TD, but say the minimum is to match the 50 bucks. And it's not that much. If you look at, I did the math on the uh, Memorial, it was about 4,000 added. I mean, you know, that would be, say you had 80 players yeah
0: you know so so. is the 50 dollars do the does the mpo division i'm sorry do the masters aged players put in an extra 50 bucks or is it just taken out of their entry going to the payout
1: i think that that should be an option for your man i think that you should get the 50 bucks taken out of your entry but if you're over 50 and you want to double triple dip let's say then you have to pay extra 50.
0: okay so just using Waco as an example, and and we have we do not have the agreement of Ryan Draper and, and Joey Harrell on this, but we're gonna pretend. So we've got 108 MPO players, we've got 20 masters players, and we've got 10 or 12 senior grandmasters or right. Grand, and he, you players. said he
1: shot 15 under. He would have cashed, cashed in last cash in Grandmasters. He would have won Grandmasters and got last cash in open.
0: Uh that's that's true. And yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, which would have been Uh, Yeah. Marcus Roberts. Great showing, Marcus. So, uh, but so Marcus, Marcus Roberts, he's 50 plus. Right. He, he puts in 225 to play in the tournament in the MPO division. Yeah. Does does he put in another 50 bucks?
1: If he wants to be in the 40 and 50. Oh, He, he he gets, he gets one selection for his 50.
0: So, okay. So the 225, it gets divvied up. 175 goes to the event. 50 goes to the side pot. Right. And then if he wants to triple dip, he could do 50 for his, because he happens to be over 50 as well. Right. Okay.
1: Um, A guy in Japan Open once got eighth place in the Open, uh, second place in the Masters, and first place in the Grand Masters.
0: It, well, <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And next year I get to do that too. <laughs> um, but uh, so, oh, oh man, where was I headed? Rats. So,
1: you were saying the extra, the extra pot, the extra
0: 50. Match. So the extra 50. Oh, what I was saying was, um, what happens like in the case of the Memorial, where the open division fills with people that want to play open and don't want to play masters. Well, eight,
1: the, someone like them could just choose to have an extra pool. You know, and find a way to make it work. Most of the places couldn't make it work. I know they're in a trouble with the third course, but they need a third course anyway, which would open up a little more space to have a few more open players for yourself and fill in the Masters like you need because you could fill it. You know what I mean? Why turn people away? Um,
0: uh, because, because we're a pro tour event, we need to be exclusive. <laughs> I know, but if you can do
1: 200 and he has no space. But it, in that case, I still think that you should promote people to do it and offer the side pot And, you know, they'll see if if the TDs put no added cash into the Masters division and say, hey, no, we're going to put some of this or half this added cash into the Masters side pot because we want to promote. We want to see Dan Ginley play against Paul Ulibarri. That's what we want to see. Yeah, you know, because he's going to have a good round. Right. And so let's let's have that be the option. And I think, you know, at first at the Memorial events, you'll have people that go both ways. But once they see – that you're writing a story about Dan Ginley and Dan got double paid. They're going to be like, well, maybe I would have made a hundred bucks more or less, but it's not as fun. And the real truth of it is it's not about money. It's about having fun. And, you know, if, if you can make these, you know, most of these older guys are, not they have jobs, families, they're not there to, to, to rake home rent. So So if the experience, if the experience is better, it's better. I mean, most of the ones who don't care at all are playing the open already just for the experience. Right. You know, you got a, a lot of guys like Scott Reek who could, you know, he could win the local Masters tournament and he could probably cash really high in Masters events. But he, when he goes to your events, he plays open because yeah. he wants a chance to play with an open player. You right. Know, and he's not there for the payout. So. Uh,
0: so if this happened, I would propose that you get rid of the Pro Masters division. Is that? Yeah. Okay. So the pro masters division would go away. It would be in, it would go into the pro open division. And then the, and the pro masters players would automatically be entered 50 bucks into a side pot. And the other money would go in Now the one caveat that I would put on because 15 years down the road, none of this is going to apply. I think right. we need to make, we need to recognize that we're on that road. And in my opinion, when this thing fills up with open players, who do not care about the side pot, then at that point, I would get rid of the side pot. And I would say, listen, I still appreciate you. I understand that you're older and your wheels are falling off, but the sport's moving on. We're, our pot is growing. So if you make the cut, you're still going to get paid a good amount, even though you're not paying and playing in a master's division.
1: I think you're onto that set, maybe some kind of time limit, you know, like shoot for like, try for a year or two years and then see where you go. But I do think even when you make that switch, having like a little metal or something to give out just to the first place over 40 and 50, no payout would be a good, just to make it smooth out.
0: I think that's a great trend. That's a great transition that should always stay. Yeah. Like uh, a little
1: pin or something. Yeah. yeah. You can make a cool little pin or
0: something. Absolutely. It'll be cool.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. So, uh, and the way that I would do that, I would say that if, if there are more people on the wait list than there are, masters aged players in the tournament right then at that point the next year we go away and we go to the pins yeah but
1: for the one year you still do it and, and
0: yeah you got to do it the last year and you got to because you didn't get there yet but once you get there then you can transition away and you have your pins and and okay so and then you
1: have which and then and i hope the masters guys don't hate me for this but then you have your real goal which is to have a male division and a female division one division each to promote
0: Right. And and at the same time, you are built then you're building your critical mass for the seniors division. Yeah. And you're you're building names and people that people care about, because that's if if nobody cares about the guy winning the master's division, then, yes, nobody's going to watch. But if we can build a critical mass and actually get a following for them, then people will care.
1: Right. You know, and I think the other part of that is a lot of guys will take this personal, but we just didn't have a lot of touring pros who have stuck with the game long enough to be masters players we have a lot of masters players who came in in their 30s and maybe played pro and are good enough to be a masters player i mean we do have our few but even the climos and you know they kind of just you know injuries take their course or they just don't play as much i mean we got barry schultz making the surgeons which is amazing and he's you know a great player but he's he's rare you know and i think by the time you're talking about you're gonna have a lot of you know Paul McBeth and that age, I mean, they're in their late twenties now, Devin Owens, those kind of right. guys are 41, 42, and they're going to need somewhere to go.
0: That, that's exactly right. And those guys are going to become the, the story in the future. Uh, and, and that it, it feels like that's a good transition to me. Um, I, I think you've laid out a pretty good plan. Uh, I will tell you this, I'm going to put together a, um, I'm going to write something up based on what I think you've said I'll run it by you, and then maybe we can publish it together on the uh, under both of our names on the uh, on the Pro Tour news feed and see uh, see how it how it flies, and maybe we can start to implement this next year.
1: Right, and I think we can. But Steve, one thing that you know we got to do is make sure that everybody out there knows that you know we're we we'll, we show the examples of the numbers because I, right. a lot of these guys are just going to jump jump jump, you know, to saying that it doesn't make sense and why would they play and all this other stuff. You're going to have a lot of naysayers. But I think that in general, if your goal is to produce the best disc golf product for the public and get sponsors, then then you're on the right path.
0: Dave, thank you very much for uh, having this conversation with me. And thank you for uh, sharing a little bit of your life and uh, your 11 year old experiences.
1: No problem, Steve. I appreciate you having me on the podcast. And uh, those of you out there watching, as I always gonna say, Next Generation Tour Register today, (laughs) it's getting bigger and better.
0: And thank you very much, Dave, and uh, have a good night. And to all of our listeners, uh, again, any questions that you have, uh, put them in the comments. I'll answer them and then tack them on the end of the podcast. All right. And we move on to the questions from tonight's podcast. First question. So do you have to donate $5 a month to play the fantasy? If you want to play Patreon fantasy, yes. If you want to just play Pro Tour fantasy, no. Both of them earn, earn prizes. The Patreon fantasy earns larger prizes. Go to patreon.com slash dgpt if you would like to become a $5 or higher Patreon. The Disc Golf Guy says... We don't have enough money to give to the open women and open men's division. So now we should also set aside money that only a fraction of people can play for. This doesn't make sense. Well, disc golf guy, as the open division fills with players who are not 40 and above, then the pay to those divisions would go away. Let's do the Waco Open as an example. They had 109 MPO players and 35 master and grandmaster players. Presuming all of those players played in the open division, we would have a completely full open field. We would have a deeper open payout and we would have more money in the payout for the open division. Additionally, many of that, the masters and grandmasters players would get double-dipping fifty dollars of their pay would go to fifty dollars of their entry fee would go to um, the masters payout and they would get a masters payout as well as any open payout they earned all of the open players who are not masters players would just benefit by having the extra money in the open pool there's no downside however as the tournament grows and the open side has enough people in it to fill it without donating any money to a master's division, then that money would, as Dave and I talked about, transition away to a trophy or a pin or some other kind of recognition for the older players who are playing in the open division. So this is not a money grab. This is, in fact, an addition to the open division, and once the open division fills naturally it the money transitions back, all of the money transitions back to the open division. Chuck Kennedy asks, what do former open players who barely got by do to make a living when they fall out of the top? Uh, that's a great question Chuck. I think we would have to look at every other sport in the world and see what happens there. Uh, hopefully they've Earned enough or saved enough or made enough connections so that they can move on to the next phase of their life. And to close out the extra questions. The disc golf guy again says, Was Dave fighting for all of these when they were in open? I believe it's a more compelling argument if this was fought for before they got to the Masters Division. I'll agree. I'll agree absolutely. However, um, people's own best interests focuses their thoughts on certain things. Before I had kids, I didn't think too much about car seats. And once I had kids, all of a sudden I cared about car seats. That doesn't make my opinion invalid. If anything, it makes my opinion more valid because I've thought about it more and, it, and how it affects me and others in my situation. So. I will respectfully agree that if you have an opinion before you get into a situation, it makes it more valid, makes it more compelling. Uh, But once you get into that situation, a lot of times all of us actually look at things a little bit more when they affect us directly. Next week, Wednesday, eight o'clock, tune in, and we will be discussing the proper way to do playoffs at premier events. If you've got some opinions, we will want to hear them. Uh, Thank you all for watching. Thank Dave Feldberg for being here. You guys have a great night, thrown straight.